Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to Believe in Betting Chicago. My name is Joy Christopoulos. Today's episode is brought to you by BetOnline.ag. And look, BetOnline, it's the fastest and easiest way to bet on all of your sports action. It's got you covered for all the news, scores, and odds. It's the best way to place your bets. And also, it's free to sign up. So what are you waiting for? Head to the website right now, BetOnline.ag, or use your mobile device to sign up today. Receive a 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. BetOnline, your online sportsbook experts. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you for coming into the pod. It is time for another edition of our movie pod series today we're talking about a 1986 film that still to this very day is a legend but first let's bring in our guests when dando was in egypt's land let my dando go he's not gonna leave your cheese in the wind it's dan sanders joyce hello dan uh, we are not taking my father's car we're not taking it joey then you shouldn't have brought me over here, Dan. Then you shouldn't have brought me over here. And coming up, our next guest, he's a returning champ. And look, the Sportos, the Motorheads, the Geeks, Sluts, Bloods, Waste Toys, Dweebos, and Dickheads, they all adore him. They think he's a righteous dude from Marvelous Mrs. Maisel and from Meeting Tom Cruise Podcast on the iHeartRadio Network. It's Joel Johnstone. Hello, Joel. Well, I should say you do. <laughs> and he's he's online too. He's online too. That's right, yeah. everyone. We're talking about the 1986 <laughs> film Ferris Bueller's Day Off, a movie that made 70.7 million dollars. A John Hughes film. Just when really, that was a big deal. When that was a really huge, a really huge deal. And now we're going to talk about it here today. Let's just real quick, let's just go back in a time capsule and just hear about some of the movies that came out around that area. It came out June 20, let's get this correct, June 11th. I'm sorry, June 11th, 1986. But before that, May 16th, Top Gun. May 30th, Big Trouble, Little China. June 6th, Raw Deal. Then after that, Ferris Bueller's Day Off and Back to School on the same weekend. The following week, Karate Kid Part 2, Legal no! Eagles, Labyrinth. And then we wrapped it up with July 2nd, one that's near and dear to your heart, Dan Sanders-Joyce, about last night, came out July 2nd, Aliens, July 18th, Maximum Overdrive, July 25th. It was a big summer for the movies, and one that sits right in the middle is Ferris Bueller's Day Off. Dan, hop in. Crazy, crazy little factoid here. Back to School actually beats Ferris Bueller's Day Off in opening box office sales. Oh, boy. Uh, It it certainly did in my household. We were there opening weekend at the drive-in. Rodney Dangerfield got his respect is what I'm saying. And we're going to get into this movie, but also on top of that, this is a sleepover movie, Ferris Bueller's Day Off, much similar as Back to School was for me growing up, but it didn't really kind of make it through the course of time where Ferris Bueller still stands the test of time. And if we're going to do that, we have to start off. Let's just talk about John Hughes. Joel, I'll cede the floor to you, my friend. Just what has John Hughes meant to you in your life and this it's hard to debate which one's your favorite John Hughes movie. Obviously, this one's pretty high up there. Yeah, well, um, you know, I mean, he it's it's hard to get through uh, being a child of the 80s generation and 90s, for that matter, without a John Hughes movie being embedded in the fabric of your your social life. It's it's I mean, I. Have we let's just start with the list? Yeah. All of the National Lampoons, Mr. Mom, 16 Candles, Breakfast Club, the whole rap pack movement was John Hughes. <laughs> um, Home Alone, Home Alone, that's a John Hughes franchise, Planes, Trains, and Automobiles, The Great Outdoors, Uncle Buck. It's it's bananas. It's bananas that you can't you can't have gotten through that time period without have seen one of those movies. And without that kind of 
for me, Ferris Bueller, 16 Candles, and the John Candies, the Uncle Buck and the Great Outdoors, those were those those helped shape who I was. Yeah, they were seminal. I mean, as sad from, as that may be, it, they did. Well, for me personally, growing up, like my parents weren't necessarily renting John Hughes movies. This is when I would go over to my friend's house. His name was Emil Tatanchi, and he had two older sisters. One of them kind of a goth kid, literally like Ali Sheedy from <laughs> Breakfast Club. <laughs> nice, she nice. Would yeah. have, she would have 16 Candles. She would have Ferris Bueller. And this was the sleepover of watching John Hughes movies. Yep. And for me and Dan just hop in like he takes these simple suburban moments, these boring situations like the great outdoors. You're going on a camping trip. Ferris Bueller is your sick home from school. Breakfast Club is you have detention. And they turn into these crazy daydreams, these fantasies, right, of what is possible. And when you're young and you have those boring moments and then he attaches those fantasies to them, it just completely takes us to, to this different world. And it doesn't yeah. matter whether he's what blowing the hair off an ass of a grizzly bear or, you know <laughs> what I mean? Or, or smoking weed in the cafeteria or in Ferris Bueller, you know, like getting one up on the principal. Like it's just yeah. all these fantasy situations that keep playing themselves out. Dan, just, you know, John Hughes, you know, what was it for you growing up? I mean, did you get exposed to all those movies when you're younger? Was it closer to college? Where was it for you? So, you know, I, I was of a different generation, John Hughes, right? Like the, the Brad Pack movies I was too young for, I didn't see them in the theaters. They were actually funny enough, like sick day movies for me. I would catch them on USA or something like that on, on a day that I played hooky from school, um, Comedy Central, whatever. whatever. Uh, but, but I was a Home Alone kid. I mean, ho Home Alone, I had the recording devices. Like I got, I got you know, I had dreams of building obstacle uh, you know or, or booby traps for for people breaking into my 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 house growing up as a kid um uh you know i was i was uh, a john hughes kid just not that that 80s john hughes but uncle buck is one of my all-time favorite comedies maybe all-time favorite films um uh i i mean john hughes is seminal like generationally you know am I, I am i alone in the three of us that I didn't realize all of these movies were from the same mind. I didn't realize that till I was an adult. Like when somebody told me, like I was like talking about, you know, they were like, you know, all of those are John. H I was, that didn't compute in my head that the national lampoons, Ferris Bueller, the, the, the Brat Pack movies, the John Candy movie. It didn't, I was like home alone movies. I was, how is it possible? I, I'm, I'm with you, man. And, and here's, here's what it was for me. And this is where it gets really weird is, all these movies are based in Chicago and based in neighborhoods that I grew up in. Like Cameron's yep. Glencoe is, was I think maybe 10 miles away from me. I've been in that area before. So growing up, I had this weird vibe of these type of movies were all meant for me in my neighborhood. It was like that neighborhood and Spielberg's neighborhood. There was just two versions of what we would consider everyday yeah. life. And I mean, Joel, even like the Midwest though, it has that Midwest vibe where like, it just feels like all of his movies are for us when we're growing up, like whether it's exactly. 16 Candles exactly. or, or yeah, Great Outdoors or yeah, even Uncle Buck. It's just, it's crazy. And the dude wrote this movie in six days, Dan. He wrote Ferris Bueller in six there, days. There's, there's some, there, off, of, off of a one sentence pitch, right before the 80s writer strike, he goes up to an executive and says, I want to write a movie about a kid who skips school. And that's all I know so far. And the yep. guy goes, do it. And John Hughes says he, he wrote it in four days. There's other accounts that say- We had to get it done. The, he had to submit it in to the WGA before the strike for them to make it yep. or it wasn't going to happen. 
Well, let's just dive right into that four-day script that he wrote. I also remember I read an article where he said that he wanted to create a character. Every character has to have a flaw, right? Or something that they have to learn towards the end. Ferris Bueller, by and large, learns nothing. He is a flawless character, and the world pretty much revolves around him, which I want to get to later. They all learn around him. He teaches them all something. Right. I think it's Cameron's movie. I don't think it's Ferris's movie. Right, and I do want to get to that a little bit later because it is funny how our social media lives feel like that the world kind of revolves around us, like we're all walking, talking Ferris Bueller avatars in our own world. But let's just start (laughs) at the beginning, right? But let's just start in the beginning where – Ferris Bueller is sick. And I love how this starts kind of in the desert, right? Like the music, yeah, yeah, yeah. the whole vibe. Like he's just completely like, it looks like he hasn't had water in days. Yeah. And I just want to talk about this scene because I think we've all been there before. Dan, you alluded to it. So maybe you can go first. Talk about the first time you ever faked out of being sick. What were your moves? Did you pull anything from Ferris Bueller? And do you think he did everything that he could to get the job done? Well, he, I, he did. He went above and beyond. He went above I, and beyond. Yeah. yeah <laughs> There's one move that doesn't play great, but okay. Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> but he's, uh, yeah, he went, he went well above and beyond. Um, you know, it was difficult for me. My mom taught at the high school that I went to. Um, so Oof. for me to call oh. a sick day, but here's the other thing. She also, I think, and she'll probably listen to this and be like, that is not at all what I thought. But she probably also thought, well, he's not going to try and pull a fast one because I, I work there. So, I, you know, I, I kind of went, came and went as I pleased <laughs> anyway. Yeah, was, yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. It was a little trickier. It was a little trickier. <laughs> My mom was a teacher there. Joel, what was a sick day for you? How did you, uh, how oh, did man, you maneuver? I, I, how did oh, you manage? I, I, I don't think I ever, ever went as far as, you know, the, the, <laughs> he licked his palms and put the, the thermometer and the thing, but you know, I, I would, I would really embellish a cough or, um, you know, just, just double over, or, you know, just really milk it up. Sometimes I'd try to, for- like, if I felt like I was on the board, I'd really try and force myself to throw up just so I could be like, Oh, I gotta stay up. I gotta, no- nothing was better than a sick day. I mean, it sucked to be sick, but like, I, and, and what's funny is this movie was, I had three go-to movies back to the future. Mm. Ferris Bueller and Tootsie. Oh, Tootsie, that's great. Tootsie, I saw, I was a little older before I was like 10 when, when I said the but Ferris Bueller, I was like seven or eight. Um, so it was Ferris Bueller and back to the future for, 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 for those years. And then, and then when I was like 13, 14, a few good men, I added that to the mix. I I've seen every single one of those movies, no less than a hundred times each. You know, I was going to just add one more thing. The key for me to getting out was I would set it up a day or two before. Like I would set up an oncoming cough. That Well, no, I, I would do. Here was the trick for you me. You smarter than I Yeah, we were, we, were, we were little sociopaths growing up. What I would do was if I knew the night before I didn't want to go to school the next day, I would get up at the buck crack. Like I'd get up at like 4, 430 in the morning and wake my parents up and tell them I'm not feeling good. They would schluff me off and take me back to bed but when they would get up the seed would be planted that they would walk in and be like let's see how joey's feeling suspicions confirmed he's not feeling good he's not going to school that means morning of unsolved mysteries for for this little boy right here yeah and, and some peanut butter and definitely a back to the future and definitely and then get a bob movie. barker get a half hour bob barker talking into his very skinny microphone telling <laughs> you they knew to your pets yeah <laughs> and so you know he pulls the sick day off and then let's just launch into it. He starts the into camera breaking the fourth wall. 
monologue. And it begs the question. I know this is a big one right at the top of the pod, but Joel, I want to ask you, is this maybe the greatest role of all time? Is there a role that is that would maybe top it? I mean, what does it not give an actor to do and vamp on and enjoy and be charming and be the hero, the center of the attention. He's the wise, he's the wise, like soothsayer, right? He's like the prophet. And he's also like the guy, like, is there a role that maybe could ever beat this type of thing? You know, I mentioned it in my, my go-to movies. The only other one that I can think of that's up there is Marty McFly. Yeah. You know, that, 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 because I mean, the the cool guy, unlike, unlike Ferris, Marty, Marty completes the arc. Mar- Marty learns everything there is to learn. Um, he really has the hero's journey. Uh, whereas, yeah, like he he has all the answers, and yet still like the guitar, the confidence in playing the guitar, he still solves a problem. Right, Ferris right, just glides right. through this movie as if the movie didn't even exist, right? Because yes, he gets away with everything. Um, but I will say. You know, I, I don't know. I mean, those monologues, the, the, to the camera monologues, does it get better than that? I don't know. I don't think it does. Yeah. And, and, and what I learned last night when I was, I was watching this um, special feature, Matthew Broderick was doing Biloxi blues on Broadway with Alan Ruck, with Alan Ruck. Yeah. And he was like, do I want to do another? Cause they, you know, Neil Simon breaks the fourth wall all the time. Do I want to do another? to the audience break at the fourth wall. I don't know. But then he read it and he was like, this is, this is the greatest. This is, it doesn't get better. So no, I don't, I don't think so. I mean, just the, the monologues of the camera and that I, they don't get better. Yeah. I mean, the you've right- got, you got heroes roles like Indiana Jones and you got like Peter Venkman from Ghostbusters, all these like things are like, man, this, this is like really juicy, but this is just an untethered guy who just, he walks into a room and just gets whatever he wants. Like Dan, Dan hop in because it's also a great question of those obvious casting what ifs in every movie, but it's almost as if Matthew Broderick elevated John Hughes's writing, which is hard to say because there's a lot of notes and evidence throughout history that Hughes changed some lines here and there based on how charming Broderick's performance was. Yeah. I don't tell Anthony Michael Hall that um, because apparently he really feels like this was written for him. Uh, he okay. said in interviews for forever that John Hughes wrote Ferris Bueller for him. Uh, and it was, it was after weird science that things sort of ended abruptly for the two of them and Anthony stopped working in his movies. But uh, I, you know, some, listen, some would say maybe Hamlet, um, Coriolanus perhaps uh, as a <laughs> rewarding character to, yeah. to play. Um, I, you know, I, I sort of agree with Joel just in that, Yes, this would be an incredible character and a fun, I'm sure, a fun shoot to be on and make this movie. But the character does not grow at all. There is like there's no there's no change in the character. So, uh, you know, uh, would it have been fun to play? Absolutely. And I think there's no one better for it than Matthew Broderick. I was a little bit confused as to why they didn't have Broderick sing actually sing in this movie because he can sing can they they take they tease it in the shower you know yeah yeah he's yeah he's a broadway he did producers he's a oh right right jesus i saw that why did i yeah he's got a voice yeah Yeah. Uh, so it always confused me why they didn't actually have him doing the big numbers i did find out uh in research that 
he didn't do as much choreography because he had hurt his knee in the uh, final, like running through the backyards scene. He had hurt his knee previous to the parade scene. But yeah, to rope back real quick, you were talking about, you know, he doesn't, we keep saying the character doesn't grow. It is funny. There is that one moment, right, where he goes to Sloan and he says, let's get married. And she's like, what? And he's like, why not? And it's almost like a small little kernel of the fear of him going off to college and him losing her and him growing up. But then they just breeze right by it, right? They just yeah. go right into Cameron shit. But they yep. bring it back up at the end. I mean, they talk about getting married. And at the end, she says, he's going to marry me. I, 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 it stays it stays the same. It stays, it stays static for me. Well, fun fact about that, his parents, uh, who uh, Ferris's parents in the movie, Cindy Pickett and Lyman Ward, did get married after filming this. Unfortunately, divorced in 1992, but better to loved, loved and lost than not loved yeah. at all. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Very and, fair and, they, and they started dating after they tested together. They tested together and were like, oh, let's. Let's get together just to see what these and then these, you know, started casually dating and that led to, you know. And Broderick and Jennifer Grey got uh, engaged right before uh, this movie premiered. No, really? Yeah, yeah a lot yeah. of hookups. And then, yeah, there's a dark then the the darkness of, of Broderick's situation uh, in, with the car crash in Ireland. Oh, she was with Jesus, him I forgot about that. and oh they gosh, got right? they got outed as a couple because of that incident. They were trying not to like make a thing. And that was right before she did Dirty Dancing. But, yeah, I brought up the parents because. Growing up in that area, successful successful parents that don't have a clue. Uh, did you guys ever grow up around those ones? That were the oblivious, uh, not ignorant, but just completely oblivious, but highly successful parents. And I wanted to ask Joel, you know, this isn't like baiting you because we're not doing a sports thing here. But like, what was your take on, you know, being from the Milwaukee, Wisconsin area and seeing Chicago in this movie? Like, what was what was that like for you growing up? Well, Chicago is always like a like a like a cousin in my family because we went down there so much. It's so right. close. Um, there's so much to see. It was it was the only big city that I knew for like my first 16 years of life. You know, like like we had never been to New York or Atlanta or San Francisco or like like that was the only metro real metropolitan area that I'd ever seen. Yeah, you would drive. Um, you would drive on vacations, right? Like I never went on a many, plane. Many, many times a year. Drive on vacations. Yeah, I would so, say so once you, every few months we'd go down. There. We went down to to the um, Museum of Natural History a lot. Mm -hmm. uh, um, and we'd go to the Dells. Uh, yeah, there you go. There you go. <laughs> um, we would, you know, we would go just go walk Michigan Avenue. Um, I had a cousin that lived there. One once I was a teenager, I would go to the Steppenwolf all the time. I studied the Steppenwolf for a summer. My sister went to the Art Institute of Chicago. I I made it, and this is why my son will never drive until he's 35. I made it when I was 17 years old from the south side of Milwaukee to Michigan Avenue in 59 minutes. Now, that is 91 miles. You can do yeah. the math. Yeah. That's what I was averaging. And you know Chicago traffic. So you can imagine what I was averaging before I hit the Chicago traffic. Dan, uh, do you ever go from the, <laughs> you ever go 90 miles and 60 minutes before? Also too, like uh, just your vibe on, you weren't, you came to Chicago when you were 18, you know, obviously to go to theater school and then you lived there for eight years, obviously, because we, we lived together. Yeah. For, yeah, I'm sorry for 10, much longer. What was it like just sort of seeing Chicago? Chicago does have a kind of a character vibe uh, in this film for sure. Absolutely. Um, I don't know if I ever did it in 59 minutes, but we, I think me and Oliver made it, um, you know, Lincoln Park or wherever to, um, to um, 
Miller Park uh, in like yeah. 70 minutes or something. I was like going to say, I've done like a 140 or something like that. With, like, with, with a stop, with a stop at the Brat Stop and Mars Cheese Castle. Oh, yeah. Oh, the cheese. Oh, <laughs> uh, uh, yeah, yeah. You know, it, it, it's so fun to watch movies uh, that take place in Chicago after spending so much time in Chicago. And I went to school downtown. So that area was was my stomping grounds i worked downtown i lived downtown for a little while so i mean that that part was was home for me so yeah it's always so great to see that city um and and you're right joey like whenever that city's on on uh, on film it sort of steals the scene a little bit there's so much character to chicago the buildings the the architecture the, just the way that the city's laid out it is a love letter to the city it's certainly more than other hughes movies a thousand percent and and the way that he sort of celebrates the people of chicago too i mean that yeah. parade scene is a oh. real nice little uh uh cut through of of chicago chicagoans in general yeah 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 we'll get to van steuben day some of those are actually extras dancing in those scenes those aren't actually hired people yeah like those are actually people just hearing the music and getting down getting down to the vibe let's just pull it back real quick before he like kind of leaves the house uh do, definitely want to talk about cameron played by alan ruck fantastic character actor you know i think when we really started going to movies in the 90s he was kind of popping up here and there he was in speed he was in twister a little bit but the funny fact about this movie is the dude is 29 years old yeah. playing this role. Um, you know, I think we came on the pod, uh, Joel, you were with us for The Natural, and we were talking about how old Robert Redford was to play that role and how our baseball careers could still be alive. Yeah. Are our high school careers still alive, Joel? Are, are we, are we, have we aged out of high school? Or does Alan Ruck give I, us hope? Yeah, I think there's more hope for me playing center field for the Brewers than, uh, <laughs> than me playing high school again. I really do. I Move really over, do. Jackie Bradley. <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> but Dan, uh, Dan, just open us up on uh, on Alan Ruck's performance as Cameron, a performance that I always kind of laughed at. I've ne I've never felt sorry for the dude, like growing up, even as a kid watching it. I always thought he was funny, and I watch it today, and it's still he's still hilarious. So many like classic lines. He's transformative in this role. He's a 29 year old playing a 17 year old for one, but two like. I, uh, uh, Sloan's father's voice to I, he's just like his concern over the Rudy. Then and then the I should say you do. The, yeah, I should say you do. Yeah, I can't do it, Joel. You've got a great impression of him. Um, uh, but yeah, man, the the then big arc that he has with his dad. I mean, throughout the whole, the he, it's it's a fantastic performance. I, I have yeah. no notes for it. Yeah, it opens up with uh, "I'm dying." <laughs> which, is so, which is so emo he's like the first like one of the first emo characters and i yeah. do enjoy the fact that he has a detroit red, Wing, red wings jersey on oh, i think that yeah. was easy for us How? to kind of and rail then, yeah, against yeah, yeah. What do you have? Uh, but yeah joel joel hop in on uh, alan ruck's performances cameron flawless I, I i i agree with everything dan said and 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 it's the perfect role it really is Un, unlike ferris F ferris is you know it's start to finish it's it's not as far as an actor goes, the dream role other than monologues, but, but you're right. This is in terms of the hero's journey. This is Cameron's movie. It definitely is Cameron. My favorite part is, and I think this has a lot to do with his performances. I think a lot of movies get caught in that easy trope of, um, you know, just take the movie. Like, I don't know. I I'm thinking of twister, for example, where it's just like <laughs> Helen Hunt's is like, we're going to need that truck. And he's like, you're not taking that truck. And she's like, 
We're going to need it. You know, the whole yes, no, yes, no hard cut. We're taking the truck kind of vibe. And he does a really great job of resisting the action without being obnoxious or too heavy with it because slowly but surely those walls are kind of broken down a little bit. Like every time he gets pissed off, he also kind of has that moment where he's like, shit, why aren't I like that? You know what I mean? And they get a chance to kind of like go in there and really enjoy it. And I think that is a part of, I don't know. I just think that's a really big part of his performance. Let's kind of hit it right now. It's been an internet theory that's been around for the last 30 years. Are we fair? Are you willing to entertain or is this just kind of a silly theory that this Ferris Bueller does not exist? He is a figment of Cameron's imagination and he is basically the angel or devil on Cameron's shoulder to get him out of the house, to have him actually live his life. And this is actually just Cameron's fight club. This is the version of Cameron fight club. And Ferris Bueller is Tyler Durden. This blew Dan, my mind a little bit because I, I had never, I had never even heard of this theory until I saw the email you sent out last night that, that, that really, I mean, it's so interesting to think about. I, I, I had never heard that theory, um, but I love it. I'm not saying hard no to it. Yeah. It's a, well, the way it's written too is maybe it's a reflection of, it's just a bounce back of Cameron's character, right? Because they're always constantly playing off each other. So maybe it's easy to think that there's a mirror thing going on. Dan, are yeah. you buying any of this? Or is this so- someone on the internet having uh, a lot of time on their hands? I'm not buying any of it. Somebody had a lot of time in their hands. And then uh, and then a bunch of other people who also had a lot of time on their hands decided, yeah, I'll, I'll buy into that time. Yeah, you pick I- up a couple Pink Floyd moments, right? Where he's like, I'm dying. And then he picks it up and he's like, you're not dying. You know what I mean? Like, it's almost like he's talking yeah. to him and that's kind of where they buy into it. Yeah, but here's the thing. Like, I don't see in anybody's figments of their imagination and having a secondary character so powerful that the rest of the world wants to get behind and make sure that that secondary character is taken care of. That doesn't come from the figment of one's own imagination. There's no way that Ferris is a, is a figment of Cameron's imagination. It's an interesting theory. I don't buy into it. And now we can move on. Uh, let's just hop into, let's hop into a couple of the, the antagonists of this film. Let's talk Rooney here. Um, we all know Jeffrey Jones, uh, Jeffrey Jones is, you know, bullshit off, off camera, but in this performance, obviously classic villain, and maybe we'll start here, Joel. I want to ask you from breakfast club, Haganaga or Ed Rooney, uh, when you take your villains or your, your, your heavy hands or even, uh, bald guy, I'm, I'm blanking on his name, bald guy from back to the future. Um, Strickland, Strickland. yeah, Strickland, Haganaga from Breakfast Club or Rooney from Ferris Bueller? Which one's the best school heavy to you? Ed Rooney. Ed Rooney. Ed Rooney by far is the most jokes. And 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 I can't, like. I mean, the guys. The guys of the three of them, he's the biggest bumbling idiot. Oh, he's the biggest bumbling idiot, sure. and they give him like the detective vibe too. And he starts like flipping the, the shades. shades. He's like yeah. on the case. Yeah, he yeah. never catches a break. The second that things start to spiral out for him, they just go downhill forever. I mean, right. nothing good happens to him the entire movie. It's fantastic, especially when you're a kid and you're watching this. And you want the bad guy to get his just desserts like Rooney just gets shit on the entire movie and, and also his accomplice Edie McClurg the the secretary <laughs> um who Dan I don't know if you know this or not I, you know what you're about to say she is related to our good friend and uh uh Joey, star. Joey, Joey knows Ange too yeah oh, oh you know Anjali Cabral, uh, Anjali Cabral um she was on Life in Pieces uh she's you can see her on TV just in about anything she's always on she is related to Edie McClurg 
who plays the secretary. What? How? Yeah. Aunt? Her uh, cousin? Her, her mom's cousin. She slays this movie. I mean, I mean, and, well, and you and then you find out that these are improvised lines, and you yes. can tell that she's coming from a place where she's like this the, this improv stage background where yeah. she is just so present in all these scenes. And she's she finding pencils she, in her hair. Yeah, she said she said the the line, um, he's a righteous dude. She improved in the audition and and John Hughes howled. And she said, I think that's why I broke, booked the role. She said, because I I improved that line. And she also did the 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 thick Midwest accent. Yeah, I love the her first real line is like, uh, well, with your knees, you shouldn't throw anyone. And it, <laughs> it slays me every single time. Every and I guarantee you when Jennifer Grey leaves the room and she goes, what a little asshole. I mean, come on. that You know, that's a tag. Mm -mm. That's an extra tag. It's Absolutely. So, Absolutely. so fantastic. And it's such a great foil, too, because for Rooney's character, you know, there's two things. There's one that I on the rewatch, I was thinking, you know, wow, this is kind of who Principal Skinner and Simpsons ended up turning out kind of being a little bit. They kind of pulled some parts from that. Yeah. And then, and then, yeah, the, yeah, yeah. And then the other part that really hit me was, did John Hughes come up with the general idea for Home Alone through writing the character Ed Rooney? Because Ed Rooney going to the house, getting getting messed up in the in the mud, the dogs chasing him around. Oh my god! Breaking in and out of the house a little bit. It has a lot of hallmarks that sort of parlay itself into the setup that could totally home, right. And just the way that like Broderick sets up the, you know, the levy, uh, the the pulley system that gets like the, you know, that's all Home Alone. That's all Home yeah. Alone. Yeah. And just stacking, stacking badness. Like you think this gets bad. This is going to get worse. And the comedy is how can we, how can we make it worse? And that really kind of goes for not only Rooney's character, but Jennifer Gray's character too, as well. Which I actually enjoy. I I never had an older sibling. Do you guys, uh, Dan, you don't have an older. I don't have an older sibling. Joel, you have I an have, older sibling. I have, I have I have three older sisters. I have I have I have two older, and then my family adopted a refugee from Laos. And yeah, yeah. Well, yeah. Talk talk about that a little bit of like because I was the older kid. My younger sister was always mad. Maybe I would get the things first in the family, and I would always get mad at her because she would get away with stuff. But did you ever have older sisters that were kind of like mad at some of the hijinks that you would get? Get, like, absolutely absolutely yeah. because i was the baby i was the baby and i got the baby treatment and yes 100 percent, they uh we, we had at times this relationship that 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 they have where i could get away with things and and i was also um you know there's seven years difference between me and the oldest and then five years and then when i was three my my parents took in this refugee from from laos and she was 16 so there was like an ocean of difference in time between me and them so so i was like my parents last you know chance to hold on to a baby whatever so i and the only boy so i definitely got some special treatment let's take a quick break to talk about our brand new sponsor canon sunglasses now my sunglass history it's a little checkered i like to live a funky fresh lifestyle but i'm always breaking my sunglasses or i'm buying that ten dollar cheap pair and then losing them automatically well no more i say it is time to make your outdoor experience better with canon canon sunglasses are made exclusively with polarized lenses for optimal clarity they're made with japanese optics that make your lenses clearer lighter stronger and italian handcrafted frames that are impossible 
to scratch. And let me tell you, these Canon sunglasses, they are absolutely perfect for the golf course. So use the exclusive code CANONCAST15 at canon.com to receive 15% off your first pair. That's right, CANONCAST15, K-A-E-N-O-N-C-A-S-T-1-5, Canon, clearly better. Let's take a quick break to talk about our brand new sponsor, Just Live, a trusted source for high-quality wellness CBD products created by athletes just for you. Now look, during this crazy time, maybe you're trying to get more sleep. Maybe you're trying to work on your energy. You're trying to protect your immune system. That's why Just Live came out with their brand new CBD gummy line. They have six different flavors, sleep, energy, focus, immunity, calm, and vitamin C. They're vegan and low sugar, plus they're founded by professional athletes, Clay Thompson, Alex Morgan, Travis Pastrana, and Paul Rodriguez, because they wanted to create a CBD product that they could trust and they could stand behind. It is finally here. So if you need support with sleep, focus, energy, stress, or immune health, I highly recommend giving these a try. And right now, if you buy one of their new gummy products, you get one free. That's right. There are six different benefits to choose from instead of just choosing one. Visit JustLive.com and use code SUPPORT to buy one, get one free. That's right. Buy one, get one free of the new gummies in line with the code SUPPORT at JustLive.com. Now, back to the pod. So, yeah, the first act of this movie is pretty much all fun and games, right? He's goofing around the house. He's trying on different outfits. He's playing different instruments. Uh, you know, for the kids that watch the movie today, telephones used to mean something. Uh, you can actually get away with shit with landlines and telephones yep. and different yep. lines and voices. And yep. There's no people, verification. People don't know your your geolocation by whatever phone you're calling from. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And this movie really starts right when the 1961 gt california the music oh yeah just pops in they hop in the car they go to pick up sloan uh i got down here between grief and nothing i'll take grief trying to impart like some bullshit well, words yeah. of wisdom just to smooth over the fact that he screwed up before yeah, yeah. Line yeah. before that like a woman that's a man is no man at all or something like that <laughs> 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 It's a whole meandering thing. And then, you know, let's just get into it, guys. Let's get into Ferris Bueller's Day Off. He goes downtown. Uh, I do want to start with, where are you guys at on the car attendant? Um, because I personally, I love him more and more every time I watch. Oh, oh. When I first watch, I'm kind of like, it was a weird experience for me. I didn't trust him. They were weird. It felt like a side story. But now every time I watch that movie. He's, he's an original member of uh, Sonic Youth. No shit. Yeah, he's a, he's an original band member of Sonic Youth. Uh, but yeah, it's such a great little side, little D story, I guess, really, right? Richard Edson is his name. Yeah, Richard Edson. He was also, also been in a ton of movies. Yes, yes, yes. Yeah, I don't um, know if it is like I finally had shitty jobs in my life or something like that. Or just, I just think his performance is just understated and funny and quirky. And it's just so weird. Joel, hop in. So I was watching his casting thing last night on the special features. And he like, he, so, so Hughes loved his audition tape. And he flew him out to Chicago um, and he had like a, a meeting with John Hughes where they just shot the shit for an hour. And they were just talking and like never ran the scene, left Chicago being like, what was that? And then got a call the next day. They're like, okay, so John, John Hughes wants for the movie. You're going to fly out tomorrow. You're going to shoot the next three weeks. And like, it's this side story to the movie. And, <laughs> and like, you know, it, it was, a, you know, it was the weirdest audition. Um, but, uh, but yeah, no, he, he's, he's, He's so great. And he said he was the one who came up with, he saw him as Eastern European. That wasn't in the script, um, which is why he has that accent. He's like, what country do you think this is, man? Uh, you know, like, like he does that like, like Eastern Bloc kind of whatever 
accent that is. Um, he said he came up with that, and that was just. It's a no, great. It's a great detail because it it dates itself a little bit. What I'm about to say also, but it kind of adds that little element of risk of like, can I trust this guy or not? And does like tipping a guy five dollars does that piss someone off or does that actually get the job done? And you know what I mean? Kind of sort of adds to it. And then yeah. you kind of let it go, right? And then what? Two or three scenes later, it comes back and they're having the time of their lives in that GT. The Superman, the Superman shot. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah and yeah. it's just this funny thing of like they're not the only one having one of their best days ever, you know. And it the, and it kind of right. spools out. And that's what's fun about it is Ferris ostensibly ends up sharing this amazing day with like so many other people as it goes along. And I just feel like the car attendance thing is such a cool touch. Yeah. And I think it's just gotten really better with time. They put on about 160 something, 170 miles on that car. And I just want to talk about that real fast because Chicago <laughs> is not very large, right? Like right. You, could, you could easily walk from, I don't know, Joey, say Lincoln Park to Navy Pier over the course of a couple hours with maybe some psychedelic uh, help. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Never done that. Uh, I've, so, I've heard a friend say. No, he's definitely done that. Uh, As it's been passed on to me, uh, per yeah. another friend story. Yeah, that's a that's a lot of driving through Chicago to put on 170 miles in just a couple hours. It sort yeah, of that, feels like they went to the Cabrini back. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, it sure they did. definitely went to the Brat Stop. Well, let's bring it out, guys. Uh, here's basically the list, the itinerary of what their day entails. It's the Sears Tower, the Merchandise Mart. Uh, Abe Froman scene at the restaurant. Then they go to the baseball. They go to a Cubs game. They go to the Art Institute. The Van Steuben parade. And then, um, and then, yeah. Then they then they head home. And then it's the dramatic conclusion. So maybe let's tackle this in two different ways. I want to hear what your favorite one is, but I also want to hear too, like if you were Ferris Bueller, if you could pick one of those things, only one of those things to do on your day off, like what would you? What would that be uh, exactly, Dan? If you want to hop in first, what's your favorite one? Uh, I I think my favorite one is uh, from the movie is the Vince Steuben Day Parade. I mean, it's such a I can't like it's just so much fun. And Hughes obviously had a blast filming that, and everyone there obviously had a blast filming it. It's it's a great time. Um, if I have to do one of those things, I. You know, I'm going to toot my own horn here a little bit, which I think I've kind of been doing quite a bit on this pod, to be honest. But um, <laughs> uh, but if I'm gonna, if I if I can tune it just a little bit more, um, I have done all of those things in Chicago, including getting on a float in a St. Patrick's Day parade. Uh, I've got a nice little story with one Lawrence Michael Donahue from the 2006, five, 2005, 2006 St. Patrick's Day. Where uh, I jumped into the parade and got up on a float and rode it for about a quarter mile and then ran back to where I started, got on another float, rode it for a quarter mile or That's so. That's so awesome. That's uh, so awesome. That over and over again, are there pictures? Wait, are there pictures that exist? No, not. A, I mean, this is 2005, 2006. This is before. Yeah, like, yeah they had pictures then, Dan. And it took too long. I was on a moving float. It took too much. You know? I tried to sketch it, but let's be honest. I had some drinks that morning uh, and the sketch. Come on. Not exactly Come on. The way that we perhaps possibly imagine. Uh, people are thinking I'm going to say the Cubs game. Van Steuben's right up there. For whatever reason, I love the Art Institute. For whatever reason, it's such a cool scene. It brings it down for a little bit. Everything's so rock and roll and riding high. And I don't know, for some reason, when they do the Art Institute, I'm like, 
there's this vibe of holy shit they really are doing everything and there's that romantic moment where they kiss and and cameron's kind of sort of soaking in and taking you know their the life is life is moving fast right but then it slows down and they're able to kind of sort of take it in a little bit it's also just a really lovely moment because of how if you've ever been to the art institute in chicago just how impressive of a place that is like it's just a really incredible monument to art um and uh yeah i i i love that scene and a fun little fact robert smith actually wrote a song from from the cure wrote a song for that please 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 give me what i want uh is that what it was yeah oh wow i'm saying robert smith of the cure wrote a song of the cure yes 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 Uh, because i was i was thinking yes it was it was a smith's song please 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 give me what i want but it was covered by the Dream Academy. Yes. Um, yeah, slowed down version of that. But originally it was going to be a song by The Cure. No shit. Well, I also read that John Hughes was adamant about they were trying to get all these hit songs and stuff like that. And he had just done, I think, Breakfast Club had already happened. And there was these huge songs that were coming out of they wanted these hit songs in the movie. And he purposefully tried to go against the grain, which still worked out in his favor anyways, with bow, bow, chicka, chicka. But uh he was like, I want to find music that isn't popular, that I like a whole lot to put in there to make it feel lived in to make it feel a little bit more real. And honestly, that's the smartest way to go. Right. I mean, for every, you know, the music so- is almost like a Greek chorus, like like it comments at times on what's it. There's that scene. It's a great call when when um, when when Jeannie is making out with. Charlie Sheen and he's like, "What's your name?" She's like, "Jeannie," but people call me Shauna. And then like, Shauna. <laughs> it's beautiful. It's so beautiful. And then the the as they're driving through downtown, big city downtown, is playing. Don't don't down to don't to don't down. Yeah, it's just it's that great like uh, Mike Myers horror music as the moms come in to check on. Yes, yes. I mean, like John Hughes uses movie, music in such. And then when Rooney's on the prowl yeah. in the suburbs and he goes into the pizza joint and he goes, what's the score? Zero, zero. Who's winning? The Bears. It's Bears. like Bears. Yeah, it's got yeah, a real yeah. snappy like film noir, like, yeah. like a campy film noir kind of vibe to it. And the, so, isn't it is was it the dragnet theme when he's going up to the girl that he thinks is Ferris from behind and, and he and he says, your ass is mine. it's some oh that's yeah that's uh, that's kind of what i'm talking about it leads sort of into that right and then it's an homage i think to like i gotcha and i think it maybe is like if it isn't i don't know if it's dragging it it might be a little parody a little parody-ish like a little yeah tip of the cap um joel what was what's your favorite part of ferris bueller's day like what location and which one would Uh, you probably find yourself at I mean, okay, yes. If I'm Ferris, it's it's the parade for sure. But just me, baseball being my my life outside of my life. Uh, Cubby's game, Cubby's game. Yeah. Nothing but be- nothing better than sitting in the sun watching a baseball game in the summer. There's just nothing better. There's a lot of people that give this movie shit because they're like, "How does he do all that in one day?" And on rewatch, it kind of tracks a little bit. Now the lunch, the lunch is a little tough, right? The lunch is a little tough to kind of sort of wrap my head around. But honestly, if you're like getting out of school and you're picking her up at like eight thirty, nine o'clock in the morning, you're going to that. Okay, let's unpack this. Let's unpack this. Yeah, yeah. What's the chronology? What's the chronology? It's lunch first. Well, he goes to this. They go downtown. They get to the Sears Tower. I'm thinking that the Sears Sears Tower. I'm thinking Sears Tower is like nine thirty, ten in the morning. Is you can do that in an hour. Sure, let's say. Yeah, easy. And then goes to lunch, which is super close. Or I'm sorry, goes to the merchandise mart. Where he's like, they're doing the hand signals, and he's like, "Why don't we get married?" Oh shit! Probably right, don't right, spend right. a ton of time there. Go to know. the restaurant, 
whether they eat there and whether they have the money to afford the food, I think is a bigger question as to whether they actually fit it in the day. It's a different issue. Well, yeah. They, yeah. They, but do they get the, do they get the uh, meal comped because the maitre d' was such a dick? Oh, good call. Okay. A Proman, a Proman doesn't pay. He isn't or, paying. Or yeah, or he just puts that on a Proman stab. <laughs> yeah, it's also very true. But there is a theory where he could be at the Cubs game if it's a one twenty start. Even if it isn't the beginning of the game, tied zero zero. It's mid game. Maybe they just went in halfway through, so he could still be there by like two or two fifteen, and then go to the Art Institute by like three, parade by four, and then got to bail home. And he's got to be yeah, home by that, like six. That, that get to the art institute and then get to the parade by four. That's that's tough. They saw a lot of that art institute. And and speaking of someone that spent a lot of time in that art institute, it's it, to get to see all of that. It's tough. But but for the purposes of suspending our disbelief, okay, I, I, I'm with you. So let's just let's just in real time break this down. So so what are we saying? We're saying the the Sears Tower nine thirty to ten thirty, the Merchandise Mart. 1030 to 1130 uh, 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 brunch brunch 12 to one uh then cubbies let's say what do we say 130 to 230 130 to 230 that sounds good and keep in 30. mind you're going downtown to north side back to downtown for art institute which is <laughs> yeah yeah that's a without hard the stuff. car the car's been parked the whole and time joel, so and joel's they're... not driving joel's not yeah, driving yeah, i'm not, dri not driving <laughs> yeah um and then and then uh, Art Art Institute from the wh where's where's Wrigley to the Art Institute? What what? I mean, it's a down and back. So merchandise is is, is is further in. Uh, Art Institute's right by the lake. Okay. So you Art Institute, let's say, yeah, like you said, two thirty to three four o'clock. We know that they're taking cabs though, and they can shoot right down LSD at that point. So I mean, okay. like, uh, mm -hmm. that trip is if if traffic's open, that trip is ten minutes. Okay. Yeah. Okay. That's fair. And then yeah, and then the parade four to five, and they're home by six. Yeah. 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 And keep in mind the Cubs. Are terrible and suck in 1986, yeah, and no one's going to. That's the Lee Elliott area. No one's going to those games. It would, in theory, be very easy to just scoot right up and walk right up and See get a couple in. innings and get now, the hell let out. Let me ask yeah. you this, Joey: Do you think that they missed a chance to put them in the bleachers instead of putting them over down the down the third base line? It's it's awesome because for me, like personally, we're kind of getting into the part now where there's so many quotable lines in this movie. And seriously, like, hey, bada, hey, bada, hey, bada, can't swing, can't swing, hey, so yeah, so bada, he can it, he can it, he can't. Like that part is so hilarious, and it's the it's one of the smartest. They don't do a ton of it, but it is one of the smartest moves of the movie. Is he's at the pizza parlor? Rooney is in the suburbs. Oh, and he and he goes to clean his tie, and if you look up. Yep, Ferris yep, is catching yep. a foul ball on the TV. Like that is yep. one of the smartest moves and the biggest like kind of middle finger to Rudy Rooney. You know what I mean? That yeah. The audience gets to enjoy. Yeah. And so I don't know. I, I'm cool with where the placement was just down the line a little bit. Cheap seats. You can tell there's a shot where the upper deck isn't even actually being filled. And to be honest with you, I think that's because the Cubs suck. I don't think that's because John Hughes <laughs> was like, hey, can we shut this shit down? I think they I mean, they were they said they shot during a live game. So. Yeah, like, yeah they, they, Matthew Broderick was just a broad, but he, he was not like a, a star of the screen yet. So I don't think anybody there would have been a, you know, a distraction in, in a celebrity kind of way yet. Yeah. And it's funny, too, that you say that, because at the end of the twist and shout sequence, uh, the Van Steuben parade, there is like an actual, I think, a natural reaction with Matthew Broderick of he had mentioned before, like he knew what a rock star felt like because 10,000 people were cheering for him when he's kind of waving at the people and stuff. It's a very charming, like Ferris thing, but also at the same time, it feels like a very young actor 
who isn't necessarily like a big time star yet soaking yep. in the moment and kind of like legitimately authentically waving and, and soaking it in, which is super cool. Yep. Yep. Um, yep. question yep. for you guys, you guys ever skip school? This is the time of year. This is why I love doing this pod right now. Yeah. This is the time of year where you start thinking about senior year, maybe start skipping school a little bit. Did you guys ever do that in high school? And what did you do? What did you try and do? Oh, I, I, I skip school fairly often. I mean, even oh, with okay, mom, bad boy, here we go. Even with a mom that was a teacher, I, I would, I would ditch class. Um, I was part of the international baccalaureate program in my high school. So I would always just make up excuses that I was going to do something to, um, to, to like add to my thesis that I had to write at the end of my senior year. Like I would just make up bullshit excuses. But I like- I've got to take a sabbatical because I'm doing a Proust yeah. uh, <laughs> deep I, dive. I, I, I was also like, I want to, this sucks. This sound, this, this pod is just me talking about my high school glory days, but whatever. It's Air first. it all. Uh, I want it all, Dan. I, I like, I won a bunch of like debate tournaments and forensics tournaments, and I was always winning trophies. So my high school didn't give a shit what I did. My high school was just like, sure, man, whatever. Yeah. <laughs> I graduated with. You know who you're talking to? That's the debate king right there. Now you shut your mouth and get away from him. I'm sorry, Dan. I'm sorry he bothered you, the prick over there. <laughs> I'm sorry. You said you were popular and you're the debate king. <laughs> yeah, man, I, I, I was like also Mr. Lee Davis and I was like, which is the name of my school. And like, I was, uh, I was homecoming king and prom king. Like, I, I yeah, I those, just, those I, were I, usually not the debate captains at, yeah, uh, at my high school. I just, I, I did everything in high school. I never, <laughs> I, I just did, I signed up for everything. And the, I did. the Renaissance man. Yeah. Our our high school had a scheduled uh, senior skip day to try and deter others from skipping normally. So you could show up to school and then leave school and skip. And I went down and, and wore I went down the bleachers and went to a Cubs game. That's what I what I ended up nice. doing. And, and you didn't you didn't get in trouble. You didn't need a, a letter from your mom or anything like that. So they kind of sort of kind of opened it up for trying to deter people. Uh, Joel, That's did you awesome. ever skip? You ever skip school in high school? I, I don't. I mean, I'm. I'm sure I did. They a similar thing for seniors, where once a week, um, there was a day of the week, and it was different each week. You you could literally take a half day if you so choose. Oh, cool. Um, and and so so it was kind of like you didn't even need to skip. Um, it was like once you were a senior, it was just you were kind of doing four and a half days a week. So, um. I think for that re same same reason you guys did the the senior skip day, just to like we know you're gonna do it anyway, so let's make it official. And uh, yeah, I I, I don't I, I can't. I mean, I did a lot of things. I I can't remember everything, but uh, yeah, I I don't. I mean, I wasn't. I liked school. School. I like. I that's where most of my good friends were, or whatever. So you know, I wasn't. What's it? <laughs> I had a lot of debates to uh, to prepare for and uh, <laughs> and trophies to win. Uh, it was a bit, it was, it was a rigmarole. Uh, we're coming up towards the end of the movie. Before we talk about the final montage of him and his uh, his escape, his Indiana Jones adventure back into his bed. Uh, Joel, Joel, you watched the special features on the DVD. Mm -hmm. uh, I'm just kind of dying to hear. Are there any nuggets that we haven't touched on yet that you yeah, uh, you, you, you guys actually? Unearthed? I mean. Well, I don't know if we talked about a pre or, or or once we started recording, but the other role, the the other actor who was up for the Ferris role, do we know he was in the John Hughes orbit? Anthony Michael Hall. No. Was it Estevez? No, no that, that was Cameron. That was Cameron. Okay. Uh, okay. Estevez. This is according to the casting directors. Uh oh oh John Cusack. John Cusack. 
Ooh, John Cusack. That would have worked. Um, High fidelity would have worked, right? It, would, it totally would have worked. It, it totally, totally would have worked. worked. But I think um, Matthew Broderick was better. Exactly. Exactly. I, I can't. I can't now see this and think of it any other way. Um, and I can't imagine. I love love me some Emilio Estevez, but I can't imagine it any other way than Alan Ruck. This uh, this movie okay. is perfectly cast. Let me, everyone. Let me, let me, yeah, everyone. Even Mia, even Mia Sloan or Mia Sarah. Yes. I'm sorry, who plays Sloan? She's great. Yes, She's great in this movie. Let me maybe blow your mind with this one, Joel. I don't know if you saw this, but do you know who also was up for Cameron? Tell me, John Candy. Yeah. What? Yeah. John yeah. Which? Candy. How would that have worked? I'm well, quite certain he was older than 29. We were talking about this before you popped on because it, it's funny. There is like a small. Like it, it, there is, it's an anti-establishment vibe, right? So I could see Candy being in the circle of casting as some sort of like pay, like Animal House was huge at the time. Maybe he was like the party animal. I don't know how they would have made him like the stuck-up, weird, closeted, enclosed. You know, enclosed. There's also this other thing where let's get into the Charlie Sheen thing too, where Charlie Sheen just gets the one scene in the police department. There is a lot of history and evidence that John Hughes had other parts of this. Like the first time he wrote the script, he did have to cut one section and that Ferris and Charlie Sheen's character were friends ah. in junior high. His last name is actually like Vorbeck or something. If you look, the Vorbeck is the tow trucking place. And Charlie Sheen had some really overbearing parents. And Ferris was his best friend in junior high. And he wasn't able to get uh, Charlie Sheen to like come out of his shell and help him enjoy life because his parents were pieces of shit or whatever. And for whatever reason, Cameron's character was his chance at redemption. That was a story plot that was interesting, like kind of up there, sort of, you know, in the ether of what possibly could have happened. It's yeah. I mean, I don't know. That's a, that's a totally different alternate reality, right? Charlie Sheen's characters in the movie a lot more and all this other stuff. I mean, I like it just the way it is, but that was something that was kind of sort of thrown out there. Yeah, no, I, I, uh, Holy shit. Wow. That's interesting. That's interesting. Just to touch on, I think, you know, favorite lines in the movie. I think that exchange with Jeannie, if it's not my favorite, it's among my favorite when went drugs. No, thank you. I'm straight. No, I mean, are you in for drugs? No. What are you in here for? Drugs. Yeah. <laughs> that, 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 that three right there is I, I, I've seen it a thousand times. It makes me laugh just as hard each time. And what each he time. does with it's his perfect. thumb when she says, like, jam it up your ass or whatever, and he, like, does the thing, like, looks at his thumb. It's just so <laughs> subtle <laughs> and fucking yeah. hilarious. Yeah. Um, so he stayed up for, like, 48, day, 48 hours straight to film that, so he had the strung outlook. And uh, that, that's what everybody says, is he stayed up for 48 hours. I, to, I don't know that he had to do that to have the strung roll. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah, a couple other pieces on the cutting room floor. I guess they also went to a strip club during the day. That was also in Ferris Bueller's uh, day off, going to a strip club. Uh, they kind of did. They, did they shoot it, or was that just a scene that they? I think it was a scene that they ended up cutting. And John Hughes going to the Art Institute was John Hughes's. Like, we're doing this because he went a ton as a kid. That was his favorite place in the world, and he was like, "This sounds self indulgent." But they are at 1,000%. This is on the itinerary. We're going to the Art Institute. So it might have been yeah. one of those little kind of like flip outs. Sure. Of this guy in, that guy out. Um, the same restaurant that they dine in, Abe Froman, Sausage King of Chicago, is the same one that they used in Blues Brothers and St. Elmo's Fire. Wow. A little uh, Chicago fact there. And then this one's just interesting. We haven't talked about Ben Stein yet, but we're kind of getting into favorite lines of the movie. And, of course, 
Bueller, Bueller, anyone Bueller. This is what Ben Stein had to say about the movie. Ferris Bueller's Day Off is the most life-affirming movie possibly of the entire post-war period. It will never die because it responds to and calls forth such human emotions. It isn't dirty. There's nothing mean-spirited about it. There's nothing sneering or sniggering about it. It's just wholesome. We want to be free. We want to have a good time. We know we're not going to be able to we're not going to, going to be able to do that for all of our lives. We know we're going to have to buckle down and work. We know we're going to have to eventually become family men and women and have responsibilities, but just give us a couple of good days that we can look back on. Ben Stiller, like Ben Stein likes this movie. <laughs> yeah. Like, well, yeah. But, uh, I, I, I don't disagree with that. That's that's I mean, I don't know that it's the only one that would fall into that category, but 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 it does hit on all of those that 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 checklist that he just made. Yeah. Damn. Uh, you know, the only the only uh, words that Ben Stein said that were scripted were Bueller. Bueller. Yeah. Yeah. The rest, everything else was improvised and he wasn't even supposed to be on camera for any. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> the poly smoot. He told him, he told him, he said, he said, just, just talk about something you know about. And wasn't he a, wasn't he a, a Bush senior speechwriter no, or a, a Reagan speechwriter? Nixon, a Nixon and Ford. No. Yeah. Nixon and Gerald Ford speechwriter. Holy shit. Okay. So yeah. So he was like, okay, well, I know a lot about economics. So I'll just talk about economics. And, uh, and they just put the camera on him and let it roll. And it's yeah, and it's hilarious, and it launched a, an entire career. Maybe that's also why he's a little bit. He looks back upon this movie very fondly too, as well as it launched an on-camera career for him that spanned, you know, what the next maybe twenty years through, like when Ben Stein's money. Ben Stein's money. Yeah. Um, a couple yeah. other little news and notes here. Um, turns out Ferris Bueller is actually a great student. Uh, there is a shot of his grades when they're going over the absences with Rooney, and it says here that he was taking English composition, calculus, chemistry computer science, utopian society, European history, and had A, A minus A, A minus A, A, B plus for a GPA of 3.814. Yeah, but he does have that computer hack so that he could have changed grades. <laughs> That's true. That's true, but also kind of lends to himself being smart. Uh, I find it hilarious that Alan Ruck is 29 years old in this movie, and then eight years later, he's in speed, and he basically has gray hair. Uh, he yeah. goes from high school to gray hair. Well, what was what was Broderick? Broderick was in his twenties. Twenty three. He, he was okay. twenty three, and um, Mia Sarah was seventeen. Yeah, at the yeah. Time. She had just graduated high school when she when she started filming. Yeah, and Jennifer Grey was around the same age as Matthew Broderick, and she was about to take off too as well in Dirty yeah. Dancing. Uh, casting what if also Tom Skerritt was going to play Ed Rooney? Oh wow! Wow. That would have been pretty good. I'm a big Skerritt. I'm a Skerritt head. Love Tom Skerritt. Yeah, I love yeah, Tom yeah. Skerritt. Different, different, yeah. but yeah, yeah. Molly Ringwald, of course, uh, in talks to play Mia Sarah, but too small of a role. John Hughes didn't really want to do it, blah, blah, blah. John Hughes also was a White Sox fan, but had to shoot at Wrigley because of no day games. It didn't make him feel very fun about that. And then finally, guys, you know, do you guys have a favorite line or favorite moment from the final part of the movie? I mean, the final part of the movie is just, it's just a wild little montage, right? That's been copied over and over again by commercials and all sorts of stuff of jumping on the trampoline, the slow motion, all that stuff. Dan, go first. I got a favorite line. Uh, parents come, they pull back into the house. The wife tells the husband everything that's happened in the husband about Jeannie and having to pick her up at the place. And the husband goes, we should shoot her. We should shoot her. <laughs> <laughs> I tell you, I want to be, I want to be that parent. I do. Um, uh, yeah, ideally, I do want to be that parent. Like, we got we to gotta lay down the law, but also, like, oh, what the hell? <laughs> what, the, what the fuck? Uh, Joel, favorite line? Uh, I, I, I think it's got to be Rooney when he thinks he's talking to Ferris on the phone, and, and, he's, and he's 
egging him on. He's like, why don't you come down here and smooch my big old white butt? <laughs> Pucker up, buttercup. <laughs> Uh, I definitely used nine times. Uh, yeah, nine yeah. times. So much in my life. Hey, batter. Hey, batter. I'm also really like uh, I was really akin to uh, just his um, his boyish uh, innocence when he's sick in the beginning scene. Yeah, and yeah. like I'll ringy dingy, and then like I, I forgot this, but also when I was sick, my parents would call and they would give me some sort of obvious piece of info, like you should have some soup, and I like make it seem like it's a revelation, like. I should have some soup, like yeah. hot towel around my head. You know what I mean? Yeah, I thought yeah, that's so, yeah, yeah, that's, yeah. So, that's so funny too as well. And uh, yeah, gentlemen, final thoughts. Let's just, just round it up, bring it home right now. Uh, Joel, if you want to go first, just your final thoughts on Ferris Bueller's day off. Um, I, <laughs> I, me, me and, and one of my uh, close friends at the time, both got grounded within the week of seeing that for acting out because I know we were both trying to act like Ferris Bueller. <laughs> Um, I, I, that movie really did for a substantial amount of time, change my behavior and mindset into, uh, my adolescence. Dan, your final thoughts on the 1986 film Ferris Bueller's day off. I, you know, it's, it's just such a enjoyable film and and, like, there's nothing else to it. It's just filmmaking for, for pleasurable filmmaking at its best. Uh, there's, you know, I, I don't know. I, there's nothing really more to more or less to say about it. It's it's just such a enjoyable film, and it, you can watch it anywhere at any time, and yeah. just have a great time. I think the performances are stellar. Um, I love Alan Ruck in this movie as Cameron. I think he's fantastic. Broderick is obviously one of the most charming people I've ever seen before in my life on film. Um, it's just it, it's fun, and it's yeah. That's all. That's all I'll say. To me, it's the it's the definitive. To me, it's the definitive John Hughes movie. I was just about to say it might be. I you know, there's so many favorites. It's hard. It's but. it it's probably it's probably his best work and it's his best representation of grounded fantasy. If that makes any sense at all. Yeah. But, no, uh, totally. But, but but truly, like and Dan, like you know, you've known me for a long time. We've done a lot of comedy together. It's kind of my favorite version of comedy, where you just kind of everything's a little elevated, but it's all coming from like a real place and like an yeah. authentic, sincere place. But we're always kind of maybe bending it just a little bit and suspending belief, as you mentioned, Dan, earlier. And it's this is th- this is that movie for me, as much as I love Home Alone and as much as Breakfast Club, you know, kind of sort of changed my life and all this other stuff. It's it's Ferris Bueller's Day Off. It's still is such a great ride. And it, it, from beginning to end, it never stops. It, it's amazing. Yeah, I was at one of, to, to your point, Joey. One of my favorite little tiny jokes in this entire movie is during the the parade when they're doing the crowd shots and they're ha- they, Benny's going into like close ups of a bunch of people just really having a blast. And his last shot, it, there's a kid in the back like right hand corner of the screen that's just like covering his ears and is not having a good time. Right, right. It's one of my favorite moments in the entire movie. Cause it's so small, it's so subtle, but it's such a real human experience too. We've all been the kid where everybody's having a great time and we're just like, I don't want any fucking part of this. Get yeah. me out of here. You adults are boring. <laughs> yeah, and I'll, and I'll be honest, like watching that scene did get me, I mean, just in the spot of what we've been in the last 13 months did get me kind of thinking about, yeah, everyone just uh, blindly for no other reason, just celebrating and having an amazing time and sharing it together. In a large group, it got me thinking a little bit, just a little bit. 
you know? Yep. And yep. hopefully yep. we're getting a little bit closer to that as we move along. Dan Sanders, Joyce, Joel Johnstone, you guys, thank you so much for joining the pod. This was the 1986 film Ferris Bueller's Day Off. Everyone, please, after you listen to this pod, head on over to iHeartRadio and check out Meet to, Meeting Tom Cruise with Joel Johnstone and another movie pod favorite, Jeff Meacham, too, as well. Joel, congratulations, man. It's been super awesome. Uh, you got your no- next episode coming up, and I think it's going to be a great guest. I think so. I think so. I think so. Yeah. Um, what, yeah. You what, guys can you guys can uh, listen to us wherever you get your podcasts. MeetingTomCruise.com. And uh, yeah, we're we're uh, we we got some some fun stuff of our own coming up too. And over under twelve months, you think you meet Tom? Well, I hope whenever it is, it's on the heels of what you just said. When we can do it in front of a big crowd, um, because mm, great that, call. That ideally, ideally, it would be a live episode in like a theater of sorts or an auditorium. Is Jeff going to jump on the couch? Is he? <laughs> who's jumping? Is Jeff not going to jump on the couch? Yeah. Of course he is. Of course. I'm, Tom would need to be there for Jeff to jump on the couch. Jeff will just yeah. jump on the couch. Yeah. Well, dude, it's it's awesome. Congratulations. If you, the listeners, if you guys haven't checked it out, make sure you do. And yeah, the Kevin Pollack one kind of laid that seed, right? Of like, Tom, you're in Tom's sphere. You're in the yep. circle of his peripheral. And uh, of course, the millions and millions of people are going to watch The Marvelous Mrs. Maisel. I don't know if I need to promote that on this tiny little pod, but dude, we always, uh, I'm always uh, appreciate anybody who watches anything. Ladies and gentlemen, this was Believe in Betting Chicago with Joey Christopoulos. Thank you so much for listening to the 1986 film Ferris Bueller's Day Off. Today's episode is brought to you by betonline.ag. 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit when you head to that website, and it's free to sign up. Also, Just Live CBD. Make sure you check out their wonderful products, too, as well. Thank you so much for listening to this pod. We got more stuff coming. Until then, be well, be safe. Please be good to each other. We will talk soon. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.